Hello and welcome to the United Sisters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Okoje, but my friends call me Omo. I'm a doctor, a mom, an entrepreneur, business strategist, transformational coach, and the founder of United Sisters, an organization dedicated to inspiring, empowering ladies whilst challenging the status quo. I am obsessed with helping women find their voice and understand their true potential, purpose and passion, regardless of their creed and culture. This podcast is dedicated to helping you up-level every aspect of your life. Join me for today's episode as we unearth the power that already lies within you. Hello and good evening, everyone. This is Akoje United Sisters. I am super, super excited to be here with you today because we've got someone so special on today. It's a dear friend. She's a dear friend of mine and someone I really, really respect and look up to. So I'm so excited to have her here. She's actually a director of clinical and professional education. Um, for an amazing global medical device company called Align Technology. So, so friend, some of you who haven't heard about Align Technology, they have played a key role in the invisible braces industry by pioneering this product, which I'm sure you know, it's called Invisalign, which basically leverages technology to straighten teeth. So Align Technology have actually has about 2.2 billion in revenue now with over 7.2 million customers. So they're huge. And she's actually the director of clinical and professional education. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of her background um, just to summarize a little bit of her career. And I'm sure she'll go into greater depth. And I'm so happy she's here. She graduated in dentistry from the University of South Africa and then obtained her master's in implantology. She then also went to then become a research fellowship student at South Africa Medical Research Council. And on qualification, she worked for the Department of Health, providing community care as well as working in private practice. Um, she then moved to the UK where her um, career just went on a massive trajectory. And I'm sure she will still, um, share with you some of uh, her journey. But she then jo she joined Align Technology in 2007, becoming the territorial manager. And on that, she became a recipient of the Performance-Based European Sales Award in 2008, 2009 and 2012. So, oh my goodness, it's huge. Um, during this time, Bina obtained her MBA from the prestigious Imperial Business School, achieving a merit. And then Bina progressed to become part of the clinical team in Align Technology in 2013 as a clinical specialist. Um, as you would imagine, she rose in her career and was then promoted to clinical support manager in 2014. In 2016, she then moved to Amsterdam to be part of the Align Technology Clinical Operations Management Team, joining the European Leadership Team in Align Technology. She was then further promoted to be the Director of Clinical Operations in 2017, and then she 
then landed her current role as Director of Clinical and Professional Education in 2018, um, EMEA, and she'll explain what that actually means. But you could see she's had such a diverse career, um, career and I'm so so grateful to have her here because you know we are all about United Sisters about equipping women in leadership so Bina I just want to say thank you thank you for coming here to share your your words of wisdom with us so Bina I just want to say thank you and yeah come on just share a little bit with us really about why your career is taking this road should I say Hi, Omo, and um, and hello to the group as well. And it's it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Uh, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Um, I think um, I think you've touched on quite a few aspects. I think in terms of as you've read my bio, my 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 journey, and I think it's important to also recognise that uh, some of it was related to circumstances. So. I think, as you you mentioned, when I moved to the UK, um, I actually uh, started uh, working outside of uh, clinical dentistry. And that was largely because the General Dental Council changed their regulations about accepting the qualifications from South Africa. So I couldn't actually go into clinical practice, although I did do that in South Africa. So I think partially, you know, that's influenced uh, my journey. But I think also I'm not the type to just sit around and do nothing. Um, I think you have to have a plan. You have to have some ambition. Um, and I think I had the drive to, to do something whilst I was waiting to do my conversion exams, which was going to take about two years just to get the first exam done. And I think also at the time, because I didn't have, it sounds awful, but I didn't have any children. I didn't have any responsibilities. It was literally just my husband and myself. And he was incredibly supportive in terms of me going out there and trying something new and trying something different. That also gave me the courage to, to step out of the, the, that clinical dentistry realm go into the whole aspect of the corporate world, started out in a much smaller company within dentistry and then moved it into Align Technology. Um, and even when I joined Align Technology, I was only maybe the fourth or the fifth employee in the UK. So it was also in its uh, very immature young stage at that point, uh, which I think has also allowed me to grow. So as the company has grown and it's also increased its um, share of orthodontic cases in the market. Uh, I've also grown with the organization as well as the company. Cool. So, I mean, for me as a dentist, as a clinician, to vary away from your normal clinical practice, how did you, should I say, what made you just say, okay, I'm going to do this? And how did you feel about making this transition into, in a way, another career? So it didn't, it didn't actually start as, a, as another career. The way it started was because the role that I had prior to Align Technology, which was with IDT Dental Products, was a sales role, but you still had to speak the clinical language. You had to know the clinical jargon. 
but you immediately had credibility with the people that you were trying to sell to because you had the qualification and the training in the background. So I never thought of it as a, as a pure sales role because I would go in there, and especially at Align Technology, because we don't sell the product until a patient or a consumer walks into somebody's practice who becomes a patient and then who says they're interested in the system and in having their teeth straightened. Um, it isn't like a commodity or it isn't like some of your consumables where you will buy boxes and boxes of gloves or boxes and boxes of masks, even though you may not use them imminently, you know. Whereas within with the... Within this company, the way it's set up is that you've actually got to go in, speak to an orthodontist or a dentist, get them to see the value of offering something like this in their practice. So in, in many respects, it wasn't a pure sales role. It was actually more like a consultative selling role. And that tied in very well with a lot of my personality because I like assessing what people do. I like asking lots of questions. I like troubleshooting. I like solving problems. Um, so if their issue was in their practice that they, you know, they said to me, oh, I don't have any patients asking for it, then the questions would be, why are you waiting for patients to ask for it? Is it not something you would consider offering to every patient that sits on your dental chair, for example? So what attracted me to it was, I think that it would still have clinical um, within it that I was able to then also do this very consultative process um, as a selling process, which, which ticked a lot of boxes for me from a personal perspective. So I guess for you, you were clear on what you liked and what you didn't like. You were clear on your strengths and you were also clear on your weaknesses, right? Well, more like your strengths, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I knew from a, a from a, a strengths perspective that uh, I would be really good at the consultative selling piece. But I also knew that I would probably struggle if I looked at trying to sell something where you actually have to go in, you're seeing a medical or dental professional, but you're almost going in with an order sheet and you're hoping to walk out having completed this order sheet, you know, with 20 implants or, you know, 50 sets of, um, let's say, you know, ceramic blocks or something like that. So, so I, and I knew that that would not be my strength because what I, it didn't give me the opportunity to do was really explore with dentists or orthodontists, you know, what their challenges were and how I could help them to overcome those challenges. So I guess for you, your probably your advice to people would be to try and work with what you believe are your strengths, because sometimes people are not really clear about what career path they should take to the what what they needed they need to do to the get to the next level. So you're saying really just be clear about what your strengths are, what you're passionate about. I think you. I think absolutely. Uh, passion is one aspect of it. I think, especially if you you're looking at you know sales and marketing roles, um, or even you know any any clinical roles, and you're moving out of clinical roles. I think because we spend eight of our eight hours of our day doing any any job, you do have to enjoy what you do because the majority of your life you'll spend actually working. And so, therefore, if you have no passion for it, um, you are never going to enjoy what you do. 
but you will also never be able to reap any benefits um, that are potentially sitting under the radar. So I think you do have to tap into your strengths, but at the same time, you have to be aware of your weaknesses because if you're not aware of it, it might come and bite you later on, as an example. So at this stage, were you looking for the economic rewards as well? Or were you looking at passion and your strengths? Was that what you were focused on? When I first moved out of clinical dentistry, which was when I moved to the UK, because I, I hadn't worked for a few months, actually, and uh, until I found a role and, until, and a company gave me an opportunity because I had no sales experience, it was, it was purely, yes, economic. But then at the same time as you as you, you know, speak to different companies and organizations, you also realize that there's a limit to how much you're willing to accept even economically. So as an example, as I was interviewing for different roles, um, an organization approached me and said, would you be interested in this type of role, which was selling autoclaves? And I couldn't see myself getting excited about selling autoclaves. And this is no disrespect to everybody else that does sell autoclaves or any sterilization equipment, but as, a, as my personality, that was just not going to sit with, well with me, where it was going to instill in me any kind of excitement to get up every day, get out of bed and go and you know, knock on the doors of five or six practices to say, are you interested in an autoclave? There is a certain, there is, when you talk, there's a certain confidence in your voice of, and clarity about what you want. What do you think created that within you? Um, so this is an interesting journey as well, <laughs> because I don't think I was like that actually when I started uh, out within the corporate world. And I think as I've changed roles um, and as I've I've grown within those actual roles. I've had to build the self-confidence. So I think, you know, one of the, the core skills that you do, that you can build is, is actually your self-confidence. Um, and it comes with, I think, managing people. Um, when, you, when you work as an individual contributor, you have only your role, um, and yes, you may work within a team, but ultimately you're responsible for yourself, right, and for your own deliverables. But when you start managing people, there's um, you, you obviously have to be self, very self-aware. You also, you also have to be able to influence and persuade people. But in a corporate environment, you also have to be strong enough to say no. Or you have to be strong enough to say, no, this is the corporate policy. And whether we like it or not, we all have to adhere to this. So you have to then, you know, learn to become quite firm and then also quite decisive. And I think when you start building up on all of those skills, all of those things immediately also make you more confident. And as you get more... Uh, entrenched, I would say, into the role, you also will become more confident within what you can deliver, what your team can deliver, how they do that, you know, how knowledgeable and how, how much of an expert you are at a particular topic, as an example. So the self-confidence came much later on. Um, and even during my journey, there were moments where I doubted myself 
um, and where you have people in, and you'll see this in all companies with office politics, um, where you have huge egos and you've always get, you know, come across people that are very arrogant or very opinionated that believe that they know it all. And when certain people will say certain things that can really knock your self-confidence. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Sometimes they do it unintentionally. Um, and I did have a, yes, yes, because you at that level also where more people are more opinionated. So within you, and you're also then in that scenario, you're also a minority in terms of a female minority within the group. Added to that, I'm in a commercial environment in a corporate uh, organization which, as you recognize, had significant growth, 7 million patients. So what you do also have in a very dynamic environment are people that have their own agendas. And so with that also means that sometimes part of their agenda might be to make other people feel bad so that they feel better which can also knock people's confidence. And I did have that situation um, happen to me where, you know, a couple of the people that I worked with actually, I wouldn't say they were manipulating me, but they were actually ganging up together against me. So every conversation I had for a short period of time was always an argument with them where I was always having to defend my actions or my decisions against two of them and I was always outnumbered. Can I just ask you, just, I mean, you, it's it's not really irrelevant, but it is. Um, do they happen to be male? They do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to be male, yeah. But it does happen a lot, right? Because I think the senior leadership team tend to be male-dominated and there is this kind of male or masculine energy that comes with that where they've the mark in their territory and how did you how did you manage that did you experience that first of all but kind of from what you're saying you probably did to an extent but how did you really like real 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 for real how did you manage that <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned with those those couple of individuals that I worked with uh, that I had a situation with so I you know I did reach a point where I was actually at, a, at a probably the lowest that I could have been from a career perspective and also in terms of how I felt working for the organization. And I, I was also doubting myself a lot. Every small, even, you know, the tiniest of decisions, I actually questioned whether that was the right decision because they sowed those seeds of doubt. And what I discovered during this whole process was that I let them do that. So, because if you don't have the confidence in yourself, um, what you will do is, is you will actually allow people to manipulate you. You will allow, allow people to say to you, uh, even if they don't say it directly, but implied that you're not good enough. And what I did do was um, at the time, because I was really, really struggling, uh, is I actually reached out and I worked with a coach. Um, so I, uh, I was recommended a coach through 
my husband, um, and she also uh, came recommended through one of his patients. And she had worked in a corporate environment. She had also risen to a very senior level. She'd been through a very similar situation where she'd had multiple men actually uh, in the organization, for want of a better description, bullying her. And so they also sowed those seeds of doubt within her. She also lost her self-confidence. She was also, you know, at her wits end and very close to quitting her job. Just to untangle what you've just said, I know you're you're sharing a little bit about your coach, mm-hmm. but when you say, should I, I mean, for want of a better word, as you use bullying, what did that look like to her and to you? So in my case, um, I mean, I can't speak for her because she made the recommendation for a coach, but I never actually spoke with her directly. She just mentioned that um, to to my husband. Um, But from my perspective, what it meant was, you know, every conversation that I would have with these individuals would end up being an argument. I would always have to defend my actions. But it also got to a point where they were questioning everything that they would not have questioned in the past. And that they also didn't have the knowledge and expertise to question. And I'm referring specifically to clinical questions, clinical scenarios or malocclusions, or you've got to have a clinical background to sometimes challenge uh, these things. And they didn't have that knowledge or expertise. Um, And so I I, I think, I, I can't say why they were doing it, but I think uh, you know, and I'm not, I, I'm at the point where I don't even care, to be honest, why they were doing it. What I do care about, and I think this is important for people who who will rise up in their own careers, is that you have to recognize it isn't about you. And what my coach did teach me throughout, you know, the various sessions that I had with her is how to deal with it. What was the top tips then? Because I know for me, just to share, I experienced that. I was part of a leadership team and I experienced that from a male as well. And I found it extremely difficult to even put my finger on what the issue was. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. As you were saying, mm-hmm. you were always challenged. It was doing things to sabotage my mm-hmm. work, almost making people also challenge me and saying, oh, this isn't work because of her. And I, I, I honestly did not know what to do because I started feeling like, okay, I don't want to be childish and making this personal. I don't want it to so to tell people and it'd be like, oh, it's only in your head. <laughs> um, but yes, I'd really be interested to know what tips she gave you that really helped you push past or transcend this issue. What I think was the most useful tip that she gave me was to actually imagine that I was in their shoes. So if I was then in, I put in their shoes and I imagined that situation, but I'm on the other end as well because I know how I reacted to it originally, right? So she almost made, she put me in their shoes first to say, okay, you are the person now being argumentative, you are the person bullying, you are the person saying, you know, X, Y, and Z to sow the seeds of doubt. And you, so that you can try to understand why they're doing that. So it could be that they have their own issues, which are projected on you. 
it could be that they just trying to, you know, make their mark, as you said, um, that's their territory and I'm invading their space, for example. And that's what I decided, that those were the reasons that they were, were doing that. And when you then swap back to yourself, because you know that they're doing this, you can either play to that. So you know that they're doing it and you don't let them get to you. Um, and so you build up a lot of protective walls against that. Um, and they were things, you know, very simple things like, uh, what is your favorite color that makes you feel stronger? So the, the day I would have meetings with them, I would wear that favorite color that would make me feel stronger. What are other things that make you feel good about yourself when you get up, you know, in the morning or as you're getting prepared to get to work? So another thing for me was actually doing uh, some exercise. So Pilates exercise with a few minutes of meditation at the time. Um, and so that's what I used to do. And it wasn't even half an hour. It was literally, I would spend about five minutes just putting my head into the right space to say, I'm getting prepared for this meeting. I'm going in with a certain energy. And because I've decided that I've got this energy and I've decided I've dressed for, for the meeting as well, because that's what gives me the strength. Then it gave me a lot of ammunition but it also allowed me to put up defensive barriers so that they would not get to me in the future. And the interesting thing with that was because I never told my manager any of this was happening. He noticed it because of some of the email interactions. Um, and he asked, he'd actually noticed a change in me after I'd started seeing the coach. And on one of our catch-ups, he actually asked me, if I'd been doing something different because he noticed that change in me. And I think that's the self-confidence piece. I think it's the piece around learning to overcome some of these challenges and difficulties without letting people get to you. I think you also, in a nutshell, you changed your state, right? And the way you changed your state was like, you know, as you were saying, wearing your red color, and deciding beforehand, so you created an element of certainty around the situation. Correct. Almost calling it as it's going to be. Yes. You took charge. Yes. You set the intention for the situation, which is incredible because I guess you then decided that they didn't have your power. You took back your power. Absolutely. And, and I think the key aspect of all of that is also, if, you know, that... I had let them take it in previous conversations and it was time to take it back. And if you, if you set yourself up mentally for that, and this is, I guess, where the mind is incredibly powerful and how you feel about yourself, um, you know, what you wear, that self-confidence that you project, uh, the fact that you, you walk out of the house feeling like a million dollars, you know, also makes a difference. So I would make extra concerted efforts even to put a little bit of makeup on, which is not in general my nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's my nature. <laughs> Use it then. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you had like people talk about um, 
feminine energy. But in many ways, I think you combined a bit of your masculine energy because you're decisive, but also the way you came into it with, you know, dressing up, making yourself feel great. You brought in your feminine energy, which is incredible because sometimes they make feminine energy. And I guess you were giving people what they wanted, which is a very feminine energy. You kind of played the sisters, the situation flexibly. You know, because sometimes the masculine energy, this is just going from energies. It's very like, this is my way or no way kind of thing. So I think it's just learning the both, it was, which was quite incredible. You probably, you know, without knowing what feminine and masculine energy, you were just doing it naturally. Absolutely. And I don't, the coach didn't even, you know, position it in that way to me. She just positioned it as simple tactics at the time that will help to protect me. Um, to build up those walls and those barriers against them. But then it also projected a certain energy to them that they could not just keep doing what they were doing. I wanted to say something, and I'm really, really sorry, you were just struck a chord with me because sometimes people view tactics, and I, I've really struggled with this, as being manipulative um, and not being true to yourself. What are your thoughts on that? I have never looked at tactics in that sense, actually. I think it has that connotation, but within the corporate environment, you know, when we, I mean, I work in clinical and education now, so a lot of what we have to do certainly, you know, it, it relates to strategy. And, you know, our overarching strategy, as an example, would be that everybody should be clinically confident with, let's say, the Invisalign system so that you can treat any malocclusion with it, Right. That's, that's an overarching strategy. The tactics is how you're going to get to your strategic objective. So when I think about tactics, I think about, you know, what is it operationally on a day-to-day basis that I expect my team to do or that I will deliver that's going to reach that strategic objective. So when you actually have a different definition of tactics, it also makes you think in a different way. So I, I've never thought about it as, as manipulating people. Maybe what you, you're thinking of is games, political games, office games. So there's a difference. Yes, that's a really good way of like kind of differentiating the two things. Yes, I like that. And there's a lot of that in, in, in office environments, in the corporate environment, is, is a lot of office politics and a lot of games as well. Yeah. So how do you feel sitting on the executive team? And OK, that's the first question. Sorry, I'm asking you multiple questions. And how do you relate to, should I say, um, I don't want to use the term, not younger, but junior ladies who are trying or striving to attain your level how do you support them do you are you able to support them and how do you so how do you feel sitting on the table and leadership team and how do you support young colleagues that's the word I was looking for who are aspiring to become part of the leadership team so I think for me sitting on the leadership team was actually an amazing opportunity uh the exposure that I got from actually 
sitting on that team and you know learning about you know the the it sounds very basic but you know your profit and loss statements um you know you learn that at an mba level but actually when you have to practically apply all of that it's quite a different scenario and and so i had a lot of exposure to that very high level strategic conversations uh what you know the organization was going to do uh, is still doing uh, was all part of that learning process. Part of it is is also dealing with the people um, and within uh, within that team at that level and having exposure to again because it was the EMEA team, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I, it also gave me the exposure to people from a lot of different cultures. You know, having having my immediate line manager from England, but he lived in Singapore. Our, our finance vice president, again, England, but lived in Singapore, Australia. Our vice president for operations is Dutch. Our regulatory person is Dutch. Your legal person is French. Our HR director, our senior director is actually Italian. Um, and so, you, you know, our sales uh, vice president, Vice presidents um, from UK, uh, Madrid, as well as from Prague. So you have such a big melting pot of different cultures. And that exposure also taught me a lot about working with different cultures because I'd only had the exposure in South Africa and in the UK. Um, and of course, South Africa being a previous Commonwealth country was very similar to the UK, but then the rest of Europe operates in a very, very different way. Um, so that was good exposure, um, excellent learning through the whole process in terms of, you know, how to make a business function um, at, that, uh, at that top level. Uh, what's important also because this organization is, is a listed company on the NASDAQ. So what's important to shareholders versus the customers um, and versus, you know, our internal customers as employees. And I think to, I think to add to that in terms of that leadership team is I was also the only clinical person that sat on the leadership team. And actually, when you look at Align in general, when you look at our a management committee, you look at the leadership team within the other regions, so North Americas or the Asia-Pacific region, none of those regions had anyone clinical that sat on the leadership team. And my, my um, actually wanted someone clinical to sit on that leadership team so that he could understand the mindset of our, of our customers so that he felt closer to the customers so that decisions were made with the customers in mind. And that's quite powerful, I think. Yes, I was, I'm surprised that wasn't even the, you know, initial plan. <laughs> yes, yes. You would think so, but it wasn't. Yes. Wow. So how, how would you support... Or what do you think more women, I mean, back to, you know, being a woman, this is, you know, United Sisters is all about equipping the next generation of leaders or even the current generation of leaders to succeed. What do you think you would say to somebody who's looking to make that leap from 
you know, middle middle level management to senior level where they're sitting in um, you know, the executive team, what would you say to them to help them bridge that gap? My biggest bit of advice would be that women should know really where they headed. And so they need to really have, you know, their plans set out for them. And this is regardless of whether you're getting married, having children, having a career break, choosing to not have a career break, etc. And I met a lady who's, she's actually on the board of directors for Line Technology technology, but um, she was also on the board for General Electric, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal lady. And she was extremely inspirational and motivational. And the one bit of advice she gave to us as a group was, you need to imagine yourself at the age of 80. Where would you be at the age of 80? Where do you imagine yourself at the age of 80, whether that's sitting in a garden with your husband or your grandchildren or your children and enjoying the sunshine, as an example. If you then work back down to 70 years of age, what does that look like? And then 60 and then 50 and then 40. And if you have those things in mind, it gives you an idea of your direction and where you want to be. And then, of course, what you do need to do, because you've got a big overall picture, but physically in terms of your career, what you want to do is you need to spend the time doing a vision board. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it's a vision board. It's a bit, you know, airy-fairy. I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. And, you know, is it, is it going to really guide me? But actually, when you start doing a vision board, because they're key questions you have to answer in order to complete this, it will tell you where you're going, what's important to you. And if you know then what's important to you and where you're going, you've mapped out your vision board. And actually, if you also put that up on the wall or you put that on your phone or it's on your computer screen as a small little post-it, it's a reminder of where you're going. So that's my biggest bit of advice for women that do want to climb the ladder is, is, is think about your long-term 80-year-old self, but also work your way to your 40 or your 30-year-old self, but take the time to reflect on what you want to do with your, with your life and where you want to be. Um, the other thing we don't do as women... Uh, I don't, it, maybe it's not just a male female thing, but I don't think we do very well. Is we don't take the time to actually find mentors, to find coaches. Oh, to, I'm to so talk. glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally, totally agree in the whole mentorship and coaching thing. I really do. Because I do feel like the male world, they have kind of unspoken mentorship where they maybe after after work, they go out for a drink with an older colleague and they just build a natural rapport. And that's the mentorship starts from there, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure we Mm -hmm. do that as women. No one's fault. It's not the male fault. It's just we don't do that as much as 
our male counterparts. So I totally agree. But also, I don't think enough women reach out to coaching for coaching. And I think it's super key, especially when you're trying to move your, yourself in your career, whatever, your career, personal life, whatever. <laughs> so... Absolutely. And, and I think the part about coaching is also people think that it's, that it's not nice or that you're weaker for asking for help. And which, so maybe there's like a stigma associated with it. Um, and, and what I discovered was actually through my coaching sessions was it wasn't so much that I was asking her for the answers it was actually that she led me to the answers. And that's the important thing also about finding the right type of coach um, because you can get someone that can advise you and, and they more or less tell you what you need to do, which will help you because it's the easy way out. But the, the whole point about coaching is that the coach facilitates your thinking and your, your individual responses uh, to different situations so that when you in those situations it's your solution it's it's your decision to do something or to act in a specific way it's not because someone's advised you to do x y and z so it's incredibly powerful what they facilitate in terms of reflective thinking and and also, I think we underestimate the importance of that. Um, and one of the key other aspects I would say that does help to move people up that career ladder actually is um, is spending time, you know, with people in your team. Um, so I, I've I've you know managed a lot of different people within my team, and it's very easy to get stuck into the work routine. So then every meeting or catch up becomes about uh, a project or a task or an activity or something that needs to be done. But if you really mean to develop these individuals, you should also spend, uh, you know, whether that's an hour or two hours a month, where, which is dedicated for those individuals as coaching sessions. So it's not about the tasks or the activities that need to be done. It's about them, their development. What do they need? How can you support them? That's difficult when you've got a busy life, though, and a busy lots of projects going. So how did you manage that? Uh, I've actually got a fixed calendar appointment. <laughs> so it's a fixed calendar appointment. If either of us need to change those appointments, then we, we just let each other know that we change it. But even if we're changing it, it isn't cancelling it for the month. It's actually moving it to a different day or a week later, for example. But it requires discipline. It requires a lot of discipline in order to, to develop people. Um, but I, I'm also a very keen believer of giving people internally the opportunities, you know, to move up because it also ensures that you retain good people. Um, and also, I haven't had the luxury of being able to always just, you know, advertise for a job and find a person easily because it's often clinical roles that I'm recruiting for. And even though I now have the education team, I still look for people that have very strong science, medical or dental backgrounds 
because they're writing content for a healthcare professional. So they do have to have some understanding of um, science and healthcare. So I, I because I, I don't, don't come across those types of profiles very quickly. I think, Omo, you'll recognize that not that many people leave clinical dentistry. So you do have to we're, develop we're the what few, you have. The few crazy have. ones. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think we're daredevils. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So you really create time for your team. Wow. So I think from just talking to yourself, I think it's more an attitude that really propels you forward. Because you've talked more about people right? Mm -hmm. As the career goal, it's all about managing people and how to influence them and managing your own state and your own self. So do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, and I, but largely I think that's with everything to do in life. If you have, if you think about it from a personal life perspective, if I had the attitude that um, I was never going to succeed, I probably would never have left South Africa to get married and move to the UK. Or I would, have, I would have almost doomed, excuse my language, my marriage right from the outset if I'd had the attitude that I'm moving to the UK to be with my husband, but I'm not sure about this. So you need to go with a certainty, make a decision and go with it and do give it 100%. Yes. And as my cousin always says, you make your bed and now you must lie in it. <laughs> yes. Totally. But it doesn't mean that you have to lie in it, you know, a thrashing at the bed. Exactly. It just means that you've actually got to make the most out of it. Um, and it's a situation, do you want to have the attitude of a glass half full or a glass half empty? And I think there's a lot of energy that also goes into this glass half empty uh, routine because I find that people that have that glass half empty are usually the ones that complain a lot that are often very negative and that can be a massive drain on, on other people. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how, how do you deal with those kind of people in your team? So my attitude, and you always get those um, individuals, my attitude towards them has always been that I'm happy to listen to the complaints, but I would also like you to come with the solutions so that I can help you around implementing those solutions. Because ultimately, if we all just sat and complained, nobody's going to get anything done, number one. Uh, but number two, none of us will enjoy our jobs. Yeah, so true. Wow. Thank you so much, Bina. You've shared so much insight of, you know, how to really progress your life forward into leadership in, in terms of your career. I really just wanted to ask you one last question because I, I know we're coming to the end of our hour. Where is life taking you now? What is your next move? So my next move... Um, if you want to share. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Share what you feel comfortable with. <laughs> what, what is your next, or should, what should I say, your vision board? What, what, what next are you ticking off your vision board? So the, actually, my, my vision board um, is what I am ticking off as part of my next um, journey. So the two main things on the vision board were, were related to, so there's still for me, having worked with, with Invisalign and creating people's smiles, building confidence in people, even though you may not see, you know, 
the patient at the end of the day. It's being able to influence that, um, that I've always loved. Um, and my, um, I was introduced into facial aesthetics, but specifically using platelet-rich fibrin, so PRF, um, as it's, as the acronym is known. And, with PRF, it's also around, again, making people feel good about themselves, but doing it in a natural way. So without the chemicals and without um, any toxins being injected into, into people. So I want to, to focus a lot more on, on that um, within my own business. And so I am heading out into running my own practice and um, offering the facial aesthetics. But of course, with it, I think um, the Invisalign ties in quite nicely because again, it links in with really building people's confidence so that they go out there and, you know, go for what they really want in life. So, and that's actually two of the aspects of my vision board. One is the business and, and two is, is um, the whole facial aesthetics and giving back people, I think, confidence. Wow, Bina, I'm 100% sure you are going to fly through that. You're going to do so, so well, because it seems like everything you put your mind to just flourishes. So I'm just so excited for you. We will definitely be putting up how people can get in touch with you. Uh, where is this going to be based? So our listeners can kind of reach out to you, especially in this natural way of looking younger. I'm up for it, man. <laughs> we in the process of uh, still kitting out and building out the practice. Um, I'm going to be based myself in the Woking area. And uh, we'll, so with the practice will be in that nearby area. And anyone is more than welcome to reach out to me uh, Omo will pass along my email details. Um, and I just want to say, Omo, thank you for having me on here. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Well, that's it for tonight. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you've loved what you've heard, which I'm sure you have, then please go ahead and share the love, leave a review and subscribe. I would love to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your aha moments and your breakthroughs. You can connect with me on social media, on Instagram or Facebook by searching for Dr. Okoje Omo Okunkwo. You can find my details on the show notes. I'd love to add you to our Facebook United Sisters group where you'll get a daily dose of inspirational thoughts and insights. I can't wait to connect with you on our next episode. But until then, go out there, be bold, be beautiful and just be you.